0: you're listening to the rent roll radio show with sterling chapman hey rent roll radio listeners welcome back to the show as always i'm your host sterling chapman i'm joined here with chris grenzig chris welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us
1: yeah thanks for having me on bud
0: awesome so i met chris i guess it was probably close to a year ago um he was working with uh Tora Real Estate Partners at the time, at the time and um his co-host on on the real estate investing experience they actually invited me to be on that was my first interaction with Chris and I've just kept up with them. I love their show. Uh, I love keeping up with their journey and they're just they're just some awesome guys. So I was uh, super excited when Chris uh, agreed to come on the show. Chris, can you tell us kind of your background, how you got where you are, what you're doing today and just share a little bit of your journey?
1: Yeah, for sure. So Starts kind of back, you know, right after college, a little bit. Um, graduated in 2014, didn't really have anything lined up. Uh, so, tried being a Division II soccer coach for a year up in Massachusetts. Born and raised in New York, went to college in New York. Came back and really found out that college coaching just probably wasn't going to be right for me and got a job as a cold caller for a stock brokerage company. So, making five, 600 calls a day, just, you know, get somebody on the phone connected to one of the licensed guys really got super interested as i started there in the business and investing world because my parents are amazing they've always you know they're like the prototypical like millionaires next door where you don't know that they're well off because they just live so far below their means but i always knew they were like in the stock market and did stuff and not that like You know, we have a crazy amount of money, but they've always been comfortable. Right. And I think that's the goal. And I didn't realize at the time, but once I started getting to that, I started like remembering conversations around that stuff and money and started talking to them more about it. And as I kind of just started getting into that world and talking to them, I just got really hooked on, you know, just business in general and also investing, right? Having your money work for you. So, as I was doing that, you know, wanted to get licensed because that's where the money was in that business. But very quickly, as I started going through the process, and after I'd been there for a couple months, uh, I realized that that world and that company specifically wasn't right for me. Uh, they were very heavy commission focused, almost to the detriment of the people sure. investing their money, and it just really wasn't for me. So I started, you know, as I got licensed uh, in January of 2016. Your Series Seven. Yeah. Seven and 63. I started looking for a way out and something else to do, right? I wanted to have another job lined up to go into something or just whatever. And just so happened that I was talking to my mom. She had retired from being an assistant superintendent. I was looking for something to do. She decided to buy a single family flipping course because she had always wanted to eventually go into real estate. So her and my cousin had bought this course. They invited me to come along to like the weekend seminar, kind of like the kickoff. And that was my first introduction into real estate. I knew nothing before that and instantly fell in love. Um, I mean, they do a good job of selling you, right? Like, Oh, you know, you'll make six was figures it, in your first year. Was
0: it like fans program or
1: yeah, fortune builders? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we did that for, you know, several months, nights and weekends, trying to flip houses on Long Island and just completely failed, never bought a home, never flipped a home. But what we started doing was a lot of networking, meeting other people. And we found a lot of people were doing real estate out of state, right out of their area. So we started the idea of, okay, maybe we'll flip in, you know, a state close by. Uh, So we met a flipper who's doing in Pennsylvania. We wanted to JV. He didn't really want to do that. So we said, you know, let us lend you some money on your next project and you know, we'll just pick your brain and we did that it went okay didn't really learn a lot but he was john cohen's cousin he introduced nice. us to john and that's how we got hooked up so met john started talking about things uh we had talked about maybe doing tax deeds down in philly uh, but wasn't really right for us and then just so happened john had been doing smaller multifamily for about i want to say 12 months and had just formed toro with his partner don that was focused on much larger assets. So we were still doing some small stuff on the side, but was transitioning into the large stuff. We invested in an eight unit deal, took the money from the flip uh, that we lent on, rolled it into that to start picking his brain. Uh, we then partnered, co-GP'd on a 17 unit portfolio, and then an 82 unit deal down here in Jacksonville, Florida. And while we were doing that 17 unit deal, I was still working as a stockbroker through all of this. And it was around August of 2016, I was like, screw this. I'm so done. I hate this. <laughs> just happened to be sitting down with John one day grabbing coffee. And small world, he had worked for the exact same people just at a different company about five or six years prior, had made the transition full time into real estate. And it was just like small world, just had a lot of similarities in KR. Didn't, kind of our,
0: didn't our John like company. quit on his first day or something? I, I think also, I remember that that telling that that me that Yeah. Story. So he
1: worked for those guys and then he went and worked for, I think it was JP Morgan. Cause he was like, Oh, I'm going to move up into a bigger name, not putting words in his mouth, but I've just heard it enough. Um, and then on his first day, he was like, screw this amount. So it was just like, he got it, he knew it. And he kind of looked at me and said like, Hey, you know, why don't you come work for me and Don at Toro? It's a little early and we'll do it as like a trial basis, but come try it for three months and we'll see how it goes. So I was like, sure. So quit my job, moved over there for like pennies worked on like this tiny little desk with my laptop. It was like the edge of like one of those, uh, you know, like those plastic folding tables you have at barbecues. I was like working on that in this tiny little office and it was great. I loved it. They like coached me up on everything. You know, I'd already known some stuff by doing the smaller deals, but you know, obviously working in it 40, 50 hours a week is very different. And they just kind of coached me up and brought me on and It worked well because I stayed there for four and a half years, eventually ran the whole Florida region of our portfolio, um, which was a thousand units, about $70 million. My time there, we bought about 4,000 units, about $300 million worth of property. And then in November of last year, decided to leave, move from New York to Jacksonville to start my own company. Uh, So both buying multifamily properties, but also managing them as well in the Jacksonville area. So Myself my dad, we bought a 16-unit deal uh, here in November. And then myself and my mom actually just bought a 24-unit portfolio about three weeks ago in February. Awesome. Awesome. How, How old are you? 29. Nice.
0: So I love hearing the story about going to work with John so many people out there talk about, you know, I I think in, in in rich dad, poor dad, he, he talked about like work to learn rather than to like make money. And that's exactly what you did. You sacrificed what would probably be a very high paying job for pennies to go learn a trait that you wanted. So I think that's really cool. And I, I think the education that you got in that four years is more, is, was probably more valuable and will propel your career over the next 20 more so than probably anything you could have been spending your time doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was hands down probably top three decisions I've ever made in my life. Definitely, probably top one or two in my adult life. I mean, the amount I learned there versus trying to do it on my own and hack it was invaluable. I mean, just listening to, you know, just being in the environment where somebody is talking shop all day, all the time, right? Hearing them on the phone with brokers, on the phone with debt guys, on the phone with insurance, hearing them talk back and forth about... Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Right. Cause they were literally, I mean, it was a, you know, a 15 by 15 room, their desks were touching and they faced each other. And I was literally right next to them. (laughs) So it's there all day on the phone or talking to each other. And it's just like, then we go to lunch and it's like, you just pick up things. Right. So, and I'm definitely someone that learned by being surrounded by better people. Right. When I went to just back it up a little bit, when I was 18, 17, picking a school to go to college for, you know, I was looking at, you know, division one, two, and three soccer programs. And I chose to go to a division one school. Cause I said, okay, I'm probably not a division one payer. Like truth be told, like I didn't have a scholarship. I wasn't like recruited heavily. It was, I impressed them at this clinic and they said, Hey, if you get in academically, we'll give you a spot on the team. So like a glorified walk on basically. Sure. Um, but I said like, you know, let's give it a shot. Let's try. It. And being surrounded by better players just made me better. And, you know, I think by the time senior year, I like started half the games, played in most of them. So not a crazy successful collegiate career by any means, but you know, that's just what I like and how I learned. So I knew going into that environment versus like paying for another coaching program or, you know, trying to hack it from mentors or whatever, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just knew myself and what would be the most beneficial for me.
0: Awesome. Tell us about the company that you are creating. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked a little bit offline before we started about how you wanted to be vertically integrated. First of all, what's it called? Uh, you mentioned it's in Jacksonville, Florida. What is your vision for this company? And just kind of like walk us through, you know, what your vision is and how that was impacted by your time with Toro.
1: Yeah. So company is called JAG Communities, uh, J-A-G. It stands for John August Grenzig & Son. So that was the electrical contracting business. My great, great grandfather started in 1909. um, That my great, great grandfather, my great grandfather, my grandfather, and my dad all worked for. Um, So they were all business owners, entrepreneurs. My dad ended up forming his own company doing something else. Um, So for me, it was kind of like, you know, I'm, you know, I recognize I'm nothing without the people around me and the people that came before me. So it's just a way to kind of honor that. And it's not only, you know, those four, it's, their family, my mom, my sister, like everybody, you know, has played a role in getting me to where I am. So it's just kind of like recognizing that like, Hey, this isn't a, you know, it's never a one man show. Like there's no, to me, there's no such thing as like a self-made man. You know, I'm reading a book called outliers right now where it talks about like all these supposed self-made people, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. And then they talk about like the reality behind it. So it's super interesting. So for me, that's important. And it's like, I know to get where I want to go, I'm never going to be able to do it by myself either. So it's just like, I thought about calling it like, you know, Grenzen Capital or something with my name. And I was like, let's, you know, you know, let's try to always keep that ego in check. Not that I think I have one, but like, you know, let's, sure. let's keep it in check and just always have the reminder of like, Hey, this is going to take, you know, this is going to take a lot of people to kind of put the vision together, so.
0: I went through the exact same thought process when I was forming my company. So, you know, a lot of people told me, oh, you should incorporate your name like Sterling Capital or Chapman Capital. First of all, there's a million Sterling and Chapman Capitals. I got the most popular like investment name (laughs) in the world. But outside of that, A, I don't like the ego thing about naming a company after myself. And B, I wanted to, I wanted to be the company to be bigger than me and bring on partners. You know, like I I have a partner now that I'm 50, 50 with, with that business. And if I'd called it, you know, Sterling Chapman capital, that would be weird. He would not like want to split that business with me, you know? Mm -hmm. So just that kind of like, I want to grow it. I want it to be bigger. I don't want it to be an ego thing. I want other people to have buy-in a lot of like, in my opinion, leading large teams like that is to have everybody else's buy-in versus like, it's just me. I'm the big man in charge. And all of y'all just serve me, you know, like it's mm-hmm. a collective thing we're working together with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obviously you couldn't do it because the name stuff, I, a part of me still might, cause I might have like a property management arm and like a investment arm. I might still call it Crenzy capital. Cause I think, you know, putting your name on something shows that, you know, you're not a you know you're not hiding behind anything you believe in it you're willing to stake your reputation and your name on it right you can always change your company name right but if you put your name on something yes there's the possibility it's an ego thing but i think for me it was always like hey you know i'm not trying to hide behind anything you know this is i'm putting my name and my reputation out there and that's what i'm going to stand behind so that was always my thought process behind going with the named capital and luckily my last name is very uncommon. So it makes it pretty easy. Right, And I almost, I've had a couple of people when I was thinking about it, like my sister even said like, Hey, are you sure you want to do it? Like people very frequently mispronounce our last name. And I was like, that's (laughs) true. But you know, you hear, you know, like there's massive companies that were once names, right? You, You know, you think about like, you know, Porsche, you know, Ford, like all these guys, these are their names and you know, you learn how to pronounce them once they become big enough. So that was the, the idea but yeah, I mean, my whole, my whole thought process and had talked about it a lot was I just think like, and now it's, it's almost sounds like I'm pumping myself up, but you can go back 18, 24 months. I was saying the same thing. I've felt that there's been like a slight over exaggeration or like over eagerness for people to go out of state investing versus in their area, in their backyard investing slightly. Because too many people I think are giving too big of a rise to the internet and what it's doing. And I think people are starting to forget how important locality is and local knowledge is when you're investing. And I've just seen, I mean, I've been burned myself by out of state. Like we, my only flip to my name is a failed flip in Charleston, South Carolina. Our partner was the contractor And he just didn't do anything for nine months. And we all lost, there was five of us. We all lost um, five figures. Like it wasn't, it was not a cheap lesson to learn. You know, the first eight unit and 17 unit deal we did, our partner was the property manager up there. He decided to run for some public office and the management started, you know, slacking off. Like it just wasn't as good. So we sold those. So like for me, I've seen, you know, both the benefits and the downsides to out-of-state investing. And I just think slightly too much people are too eager to go out of state versus in their backyard. Like I've spoken to some people that live in Florida and they're like, yeah, I'm looking in, you know, Tennessee or I'm looking in Georgia. I'm like, what the fuck? Like yeah. Florida is yeah. an absolute great market, sure. a great place I, to I, find deals and make it work. So I, don't know. I have a
0: bunch of properties locally, small properties, but for larger multifamilies, I definitely look out of state because Louisiana is a terrible place to buy. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, our we have high poverty, high crime. You know, people are leaving the state constantly, and we're completely dependent on the oil industry. So, like, every one of the key economic indicators that you want to like analyze when you look at a growth market points you away from where I live. But my mama yeah. lives here, and my wife's mama lives here, so we're not mm-hmm. going anywhere. Yes, yeah. so, but you know, I love Jacksonville. I love Atlanta. I love, you know, those other markets.
1: Yeah. And again, I, and that's why I say slight, right? I'm not saying like, don't invest out of state. That's not, and that's my fear. And I always say like, I'm not saying don't do it. I just feel like as I have conversations with people more and more and more people are quicker to turn to out of state because it's easier, right? A lot of people have trouble buying stuff in their neighborhood or their area because they know too much right? They know, Mm -hmm. you know, block by block as things change, where things are. When you go to a new market that you don't know, and you just look on Google maps, it's very tough to tell. And you don't know until you make mistakes or you have somebody that you can really rely on, or you've been there for a while. I mean, I can just tell you, you know, our thousand units for Toro that we had bought in Florida were all in Jacksonville. We looked in other markets, but we only ever bought in Jacksonville. So we've been in this market since 2017. So I've been run and I've ran everything here. So for four years, the amount I've learned in the past three months that I've lived here is not far off the amount of learned in the last three or four years. It's, you know, I picked up a lot over those three or four years, hmm. but there's something totally different about being in a market, being in an area networking with people. there, really getting a good understanding. I mean, even just, you know, the neighborhood that I moved into from my own personal apartment, the amount I've like apartments that I was looking at versus now and some pockets that I thought weren't great. And now I know are good. And I mean, it's just crazy just that now that I've lived there and understood and I, drive around, I run around, I go visit different things. Like your level of knowledge just goes up and up and up. So it's like, that's my worry is just that like slightly my overall feeling is people are a little too quick to go out of state.
0: I, so we have a lot of, um, kind of investors from like New York and California and other areas where that just doesn't make, You know, there's a a whacked out price to rent ratio investing here in in Baton Rouge. And a lot of times I'll bump into them on the forums or, or however online, and they'll say, Oh, you live in Baton Rouge? Look, I'm buying something in this neighborhood. What do you think? I'm like, I think you should have come to Baton Rouge before you did that, Mm -hmm. you know? And and there's no, I mean, they could have come and visited, but there's really no way to know except for living here and like walking down that street at 10 o'clock at night. Cause you know, if the investor's flying in from out of town and going there at two in the afternoon, it's a different story than 10 o'clock at night, Mm
1: -hmm. you know? And it's, you know, it's even still where it's, you know, things change, things move, right? Streets get better. Streets get worse. Like, you know, things evolve over time and Google maps is great, right? Like it's a way better option today than it was 10 years ago, right? Out of state investing, yeah. way more tools, way more knowledge. It makes it way more possible. But like Google maps in a lot of areas is still lagging by if you get lucky, it's a couple months. If it's average, it's probably like six to 18 months. And if you're unlucky, it's a few years you're going to invest in an area in a neighborhood based on, you know, old outdated information. Like that just seems a bit ridiculous. And, you know, obviously nobody just goes on Google maps and says, I love it, but even coming down for a couple of days, even having boots on the ground, like it's tough to really form your own opinion if you're not there for a long time. So like, I always encourage people, if you've decided to go invest out of state If you pick an area, go actually spend a good amount of time there. Like you should be spending a couple weeks there within the first year, if not sooner, to really get a good feeling for different neighborhoods, different areas, drive around, talk to people. Like just doing a one or two day trip and like going to see the property for a couple hours and then driving it at night, it's good. It's not you know, you should definitely do that, but it's better not, than
0: nothing. You, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's better than nothing, but it's not really going to tell you what that area and that property is actually like, especially given you're probably going to own it for years, right? You're taking, you're going to own it for five years, three years, 10 years. You're taking a, a sliver of time compared to what you're going to own it for. And, you know, think you have enough knowledge is just, you know, a little bit ridiculous to me.
0: No, absolutely. So what kind of properties are you looking for? Like what's your criteria and how are you determining what you're, what you're trying to buy? And then how are you deal sourcing?
1: Yeah. So I am focused on definitely sub 100 unit properties, but really like sub 80 or 70 unit properties. Why? And I would say like sub 8 million bucks uh, because out-of-state investors won't buy them. I have the knowledge of a more, you know, I'll say quote unquote, sophisticated, right. And anybody listening can judge whether they think I'm sophisticated or not. But I have, you know, I have five years of knowledge that
0: I would definitely say you've earned your sophisticated badge.
1: Put it that way. So Sterling Chapman approved, Um, (laughs) but you know, like I have a level of knowledge that a lot of people have when they're looking at 150 unit plus deals. So I have a lot of competition, but now if I can remove a lot of that competition by just focusing on something smaller, You know, that gives me a leg up. Now, the problem with a lot of those smaller deals is the management side, but I live here, I manage everything myself. So it gives me that. Also, too, I had literally zero property management experience coming into it. So
0: I'm pretty sure you were the one who taught me how to manage my own properties.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very possible. Um, but like, you know, for me it was okay. Like, I'm gonna have a lot of learning to do in the first months and years, and I, you know if I were to just go buy a 200 unit property, you know, could I have done it? Yeah, sure. Right. I'll figure it out. I'll back myself on anything, but I have a way better confidence level in buying a 16 unit and a 24 unit versus 160 and a 240 unit. So for me, it was, you know, biggest reason competitive advantage. Second reason, let me get my feet underneath me a little bit before I start looking at bigger things, because not only am I going to have to start raising investor money in the near future, I'm also going to have to compete against other people, right? And if I don't have my own track record of owning and managing other properties, and I don't have, and I can't portray a high level of confidence in that offering process, well, then I'm just going to be spinning my wheels and wasting my time. So it's a combination of a few things. But, you know, probably for the next 18 to 36 months, I'll focus on, you know, that small to mid sized multifamily, call it, you know, 10 to 80 unit properties in the Jacksonville MSA. And then after some time, you know, I'll start to look to scale up into the larger stuff and, you know, have dedicated on site management.
0: Yeah. So, but you're still your own dedicated on site management.
1: Correct. Right. Any management employees would be under the JAG umbrella.
0: Yeah. So I I really do think that management uh, gives you a competitive edge there because, you know, most of you're right. Most of the, institutions and and ninety-five percent of the guys you hear about or I interview on the show, you, they say, Oh, hundred plus, hundred plus, hundred plus. And it's like, well, why a hundred plus? Oh, because it, it can support an onsite site manager and it's you know economies of scale with the onsite site manager and all of that kind of thing. But if you're doing it yourself, you really take that piece out of the equation. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I mean there's a tremendous amount less competition and and yeah. you're not really losing anything because you were you were doing it all yourself anyway.
1: For sure. And not only, you know, I'm not only competing on the, you know, deal sourcing front, you're competing on the, you know, capital front as well. And for me, it was, okay, how do you set yourself apart going forward? Well, if 90% of, you know, we'll call it the online syndication space, right? Of all these syndicators, if 80% plus, let's say, are doing third-party management and just raising capital and putting deals together, not that there's anything wrong with that. But if that's what everybody's doing, how do you differentiate yourself? Well, I said, you know, you can have your story, you can have your brand, you know, you can be better marketing, more personable, all those things. But a lot of them are not going to go into, you know, vertically integrated in-house management. So I said, why not give it a shot, right? Like, I'm very aware that in three years, I may say, fuck management, and I'm just going to outsource everything, even if I live here, right? Because it's not worth my time. It's not worth my headache. It's not what I'm good at but why not try it and give it a go and you can always pivot in the future, right? It's easy to try something and turn away from it than to never try and try to implement it later on.
0: Sure. as much as I hated property management, I'm so glad I went through it. It's like it's like most growth things in life. You're like, oh, that was miserable. I don't want to be in it right now, but I'm glad I went through it. I learned a lot from it, and like mm-hmm. I can I can more effectively manage the property manager. I, I know what to look for because I've you know what I'm saying. I've replaced yeah. that, so I know how much it costs to replace. So when you send me a bill for twice that, like we got to talk. Whereas had yeah. I never done that hands on, I wouldn't know. You know, I could be getting robbed blind and wouldn't even notice. <laughs>
1: So part of the reason why I wanted to do it as well was I said I looked at it and I said okay what's like literally if I leave my job I move down here and I do this what's my worst case scenario I said I absolutely the worst case is I move down and I absolutely hate everything I'm doing right and what would I do I would just pack up move back to New York I would go find another job hopefully and just do what I was doing again but in that six months I would have learned so much about. Managing a property, operating a property, the construction, the maintenance, and it's all things I wouldn't have had before. And I've said for years that a big gap in my knowledge is like not just the day to day operations and property management, but like the construction and the physical aspects of the property. I mean, I've learned more about the construction, the makeup of a property, the maintenance side of things in these past three months than I have in the last five years.
0: Well, and let's be honest, you didn't get into real estate to work for somebody else. I mean, there's, you know, we got into real estate to escape the nine to five, not to just like have a nine to five in real estate. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people kind of missed the boat on that, Like, I'm going to go be a wholesaler. I'm like, great. That's a lot of work. I thought you yeah. wanted to get out of working.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, luckily for me, and one of the reasons I stayed with Toro so long is not only were they great company and John and Don are tremendous people. I had a ton of flexibility and autonomy in, you know, my job where it almost was a quasi working for myself. So yeah. Did I have the final say in decisions? And no, were there things that I wasn't a part of? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, I was fully working for myself, but it was a very flexible hybrid model, which is one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much and that I stayed with them for four and a half years. So, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, one, I had never left prior to that. And two, you know, was one of the things I was thinking about as I was thinking about leaving, like, Hey, like you've got a pretty good setup. Like, are you sure the grass is greener type of thing where, you know, you've got the, the balance of, you know, money coming in and some flexibility and, you know, the ability to, you know, do stuff on the side if you want to things like that. So I was very fortunate that it wasn't like, I was an asset manager on 500 units for a 50 person company. So, um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely different now that I'm setting my own schedule and doing things I want. Like, I mean, I could have probably done this at Toro, but I just never did. But like four weeks ago, I was burnt out. So I just like took a Monday off and I was like, Oh, this is kind of nice.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what are you doing for deal sourcing and capital raising? So like, Those are the two main engines. What is your process or thought process or around both of those items?
1: Yeah. So the capital side right now, you know, that first deal. So that first deal we bought, I was actually just planning to buy on the side and not leave. It was just as I was going through the process and a bunch of people asked me like, Hey, does this mean you're leaving? I mean, even John and Don asked me and I originally said no. And as I thought about it more, I was like, I was 28 at the time. I was like, I got nothing holding me besides my job and my family in New York. I was like, probably no better time to try it. So fuck it, let's do it. So it kind of just merged into that way. So that I always wanted a deal without any investors where it's like, okay, you kind of just call the shots. You do what you want. And my dad always wanted to move money into real estate, but never wanted to really do it with Toro because it was just a job. He was like, if you leave my money's there and I have no say anymore. And you know, he was right and had good foresight because I did leave and, you know, he would have been stuck there. Not that I think it would have been a bad place to have money, but it's just not what he was looking for. So when I talked about earlier in 2020, buying a deal on the side, he was really interested. Um, So we had decided to partner to buy a deal, found it back in like August, closed in November. um, And as I came down and as I was forming this, you know, I like the idea of having a handful of deals or a couple of deals without any investors that kind of serve as a foundation and something I can fall back on where, you know, I call the shots or we call the shots and it's just, you know, you do whatever you want with them type of thing. So I was fortunate enough that another deal came along that was within, you know, our capabilities to take down as well in this 24 unit deal. So now we have two deals with just one with my dad, one with my mom, that'll allow me to be a foundation. So the idea is to, Renovate them, refinance out a bunch of capital, kind of use that as the GP equity, and then go out and raise uh, investor money for, you know, deals going forward. And then my kind of thesis is going to be longer term hold. So kind of, you know, look to get in, renovate all the units, refinance out as much money as possible, ideally 50% plus, if not closer to, you know, 70, 80, Mm -hmm. 100%, but that's not always possible and just hold for the long term in terms of deal sourcing right now it's just networking brokers wholesalers things like that I haven't really needed to do anything else i dabbled with wholesaling and then just this deal came up and you know kind of put that up to the side but right now it's just you know kind of building that network and letting things come to me
0: awesome and and as for capital what is your what tactic do you have like <laughs> I like I know where the money you've got came from but like going forward kind of like what does your marketing machine look like to attract new capital?
1: Well, I mean, you know, part of the reason that I've done so much on, you know, podcasting and social media over the last, you know, 2-3 years is just building up a brand and audience or whatever. So I've always said, right. Doing that is half selfless, half selfish, right. Where, you know, I don't have a course, I don't have a book, I don't charge people for anything. So it was, you know, just giving people a ton of information where part of me is an educator and a coach. So that part of it is nice where I don't want to coach somebody one on one, but like being able to do things like this or, you know, create social media videos and clips, you know, kind of satisfies that and DMing with people or jumping on calls and helping people out. I like that. But also part of it is, you know, if you have people that know about you and what you're looking to do, if I am trying to raise money and they're interested, there is that. Uh, Truthfully, I've done literally zero outreach for capital. I've probably had about 15 to 30 people reach out. Yeah, people... I just haven't had the opportunity yet.
0: People that don't create the content and don't create the brand and don't put themselves out there don't understand how that interaction really works. I had a friend of mine the other day I think he was just joking because I was like, I was trying to explain what I do versus him trying to get started on his first project in, in syndication. And, and even in like private using private money to burr houses or whatever, just using other people's money to do your deals. He's like, well, I'm not as good at shaking the tin can as you are. And I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's get straight. I've never asked anybody for money. Like people see what I'm doing and they say, Hey, and they reach out to me privately and go, Hey, I want to get involved in that. The next one, let me know if I can invest in that deal. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, even for the, we just, we just did a 53 unit in Georgia and we raised a couple million. And, and I didn't ask anybody for money. Every, every single person that invested in the deal was, they heard what I was doing and they said, Hey, is it too late for me to get in? I want to get out on that. Mm-hmm. You know so i don't i don't I don't think everybody quite understands how the interaction, but a lot of it is is attraction. It's that you know we just we put the content out there, we build our brand, we let the world know what we're doing, and believe it or not, most people want a good return on their money without having to actively like. I mean, you and I have spent years and years studying and working in the industry and absorbing content, you know what I'm saying? To get educated and done the dirty work. I mean, you were in an eviction before we we got on this call, Mm -hmm. you know, most people don't want to do that dirty work. They just want a good return on their money. So we're helping them, you know, we're solving problems for them. We're not asking for money at all.
1: No, for sure. I mean, it's definitely, you know, all those, and it's not like, you know, even for when I was at Toro, I would help raise money. And it was doing the same thing, but it was always be like, Hey, if you're interested, let me know. Or I'd always have a link in my bio, like, Hey, sign up for the investor thing. So like people would funnel through that where it's like, okay, there's awareness. This was literally, I didn't talk to, I didn't put out anything, didn't say anything about like, Hey, I'm looking for money. Or there was no like button for people to do it. And it was just people reached out like, Hey, what are you doing? What are your goals? What, like, what is this type of thing? And just as they were having that conversation, it was like, okay, let me know. You know, when you're ready to start raising money and you got something interesting, because, you know, I want a partner. And, you know, truth be told, as I I was doing, you know, this whole thing, you know, like I thought about like my story and my brand and stuff. Like there's a lot of people that are going to look to, you know, me leaving New York where, you know, I lived for 28 years basically to move down to Florida to build something to be in the weeds day to day. Like, in five years, that's going to be a pretty nice story that somebody can buy into. Right. right? It sounds a little weird to say, and I'm a little uncomfortable saying it, but that's, (laughs) that's the God's honest truth. And like, I'm not oblivious to that. And I didn't make those decisions for that reason, but it's, you know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. Like, sure, you know, there was a deal we were doing pretty early on so as I joined Toro, um, like I said, it was me, and my mom, my cousin, and John, we partnered on that eight unit, that 17 unit, the 82 unit deal in Jacksonville. And then we had another 86 unit deal go under contract right after that 82 unit deal here, which I'm so pissed we didn't do because that deal is fucking, it's like we would have doubled our money in cash. But we went under contract, did due diligence, and we walked because they wouldn't release the creditworthiness of the tenant. So we were afraid because he had bought it out of foreclosure, renovated it, leased it up. He hadn't gone through the turns yet of renewals or putting new people in. So we were worried that, Hey, you just stuffed unqualified people in and we were going to inherit a clusterfuck ended up not being the case whatsoever, but we decided to walk on the deal. We lost probably, you know, five figures, I don't know, 10, 20 grand in due diligence costs, travel lawyers, attorneys, that whole stuff. And it was like, okay, I was having this conversation with Austin Linney. It wasn't like, Hey, we walked on the deal because we knew it would be a good marketing thing to say afterwards, but like you make the most of a situation, right? Like we walked on the deal because we weren't comfortable with it, but we did we then didn't say, hey, I'm not gonna now use this as an opportunity to say, hey, here's a, th- a reason you should trust us. Like we'll walk on a deal if we don't like it or we're worried about it and we'll sure, lose sure. money if we have to, right? Like we, we didn't, we didn't purposely lose 20 grand to use it as a marketing piece, but like you make the most of. Well, like, like
0: I think Joe Fairless lost like a million dollars of other people's money on his first deal and ended up paying it all back over several years. And, and I've heard him tell that story like a million times. So I know he like tells yeah. every investor and, and, and that's like, I certainly believe that wasn't intentional, but <laughs> like, I bet it's made him a lot of money and a lot of lifelong investors just recounting that, you know?
1: Exactly, right. And I mean that's you know, that's like taking my story and multiplying it by like a (laughs) hundred. So thanks for that. But it's the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, he didn't obviously didn't set out to lose a million bucks, but you know, again, you take what happens and you, you know, you know, use it in different ways and frame it in different ways to be to your benefit.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. We're, uh, we're getting close to time and my, uh, my editor's going to yell at me. So let's hop over to the radio round where, uh, just ask a couple questions to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. This first one is what's your favorite book?
1: Uh, it's a good question. So I really like a book I read called who, not how, which okay. has been really great as I'm like, you know, building a business and doing things. Cause I think it's super powerful. That's probably my favorite. I'm not I haven't been a big reader. I just started doing the 75 hard challenge, so I've just started reading. And it's actually forced me to enjoy it now because I've bought like, I don't know, 15 books and I've only read like half. So that's probably been my favorite so far, but I'm, I haven't been a big reader until recently.
0: I've been entertaining that seventy-five hard. We just had a baby, so mm-hmm. like our house is a chaos. We have a we have an eighteen-month-old, and now we have a newborn. So like the idea of being able to get two forty-five-minute workout ends a day and stay on a diet for the next you know three months or whatever, it's. I, I think That'll I need to push lot. it back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what is your favorite quote?
1: I'm going to butcher it, but and I forget who said it, but it's, we, we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in five.
0: That is great. I forget who said that as well, but um, I do love that quote. And I feel like it's so true in real estate investing. Like if you like look back, you get really discouraged in the short term. But then Mm -hmm. if you like, if you look way back you're like, holy shit, look how far I've come.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, it's, I'm kind of going through right now where it's like, you know, we just bought this 24 unit deal. I'm doing the first deal. We bought is major construction. And I actually just hired two people part-time, an internal property manager and a maintenance person. And it's like, I've got just like a laundry list of things to do. And I feel like every day I'm doing one task and then adding two new ones. And so it's like, I feel like I'm getting nothing done right now. Like everything's moving so slow. Everything's going super crazy. But I know by bringing those people on today, in six, 12, 18 months, I'm going to be way further than I thought I would be.
0: Yeah. So I, I write my to do list every morning in a yellow pad and and I just flip the page. Like I drill lines through it when I'm done and then I flip the page. And sometimes when I get like that overwhelming feeling, I like, I, I flip back like 10, 15 pages and look at all the things. I'm like, holy shit, I've got a ton of stuff done. Like, you know, mm. just steadily chipping at it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I use a uh, monday.com for all my tasks and stuff. And I'm trying to set it up right now with like, you know, all the different people and all that different stuff. So like, it is cool where it's like, you can just mark something done and it moves down to a done channel where you can like look back on the week and see things that are done. Or you can go through your history and see all the things you did and like notes you wrote and tasks you did. So that's pretty cool too. where You can look back and just see like all you've accomplished over like the past. You're
0: like the third person I've heard you're like the third person I've heard recommend Monday.com. I'm gonna have to check it out. I I, I I can't like I've I have jumped at every like and been seduced by every new software for like organization and calendars and productivity. But like I don't know. I guess I'm just old and like antiquated and I I end up reverting back to like paper for mm-hmm. everything.
1: Yeah. So I I love it. We've been using it for like I introduced it into Toro like 24 months ago. Um, I've introduced it to a bunch of people that say they loved it. I got our when I our property manager down here, I got them started using it when I was at Toro. I started writing everything on the whiteboard behind me, if anyone's watching the video. And then I was like, this is just crazy. Cause it's like I would go home and I would forget sometimes what's on the board and things I need to do, or like I'd think about something. Like as I'm going to bed or as I'm out for a walk or a run, and I'm like, fuck, I'll like write it down in my notes on my iPhone and then have to write it on my board. I'm like, this is just dumb. I was like, just take the take the five minutes, list it out on there. You can pull up the app on your phone, add stuff, change things, and do all that. So it's really, really great. If not that one, there's Asana, there's Trello. Um, yeah, and one that's you- pretty cool that is newer that I've heard a lot of good things about is Notion. Which apparently is it's different than like those other three are pretty similar. Notion's a little bit different, um, and I've heard some really interesting things about it.
0: So I'm using Asana right now for the the um, noon property that we just closed on, like kind of the capex schedule and everything on it. I use Evernote for like capturing things. Have you ever read James Allen's Getting Things Done? No. I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. So I've read it probably three times but it's 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 a concept about productivity and and most of these apps have adapted most of these platforms have adapted the basic concepts but it's about getting everything out of your mind and having like a single point of truth to capture everything like as Mm -hmm. things come into you a phone call comes in an email comes in a text comes in to get that all in one basket, whether it's a physical basket or, an, e, you know, the email could be the one source of truth. And if you get a phone call while you're driving down the street, you talk to text to send yourself an email and then, you know, you true up your email at the end of every day and you get it to zero. But there, there's a lot of a lot of really good productivity tips and, and tricks in there that that you could kind of integrate into these good. that uh, it it's it certainly changed my life and made me made me. helped me to be a lot a lot more organized
1: interesting i'm definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna check that out the one thing i'll say uh when we first started doing it we did a trial for monday and asana we chose monday but the one thing i've loved over the past two years is the amount of upgrades and new features and you know improvements that they've done to the software it's it feels like it's constant and it's always good like i've never had them change something and i'm like this sucks like, you know, yeah. like sometimes you get like an iPhone update and you're like, oh, screw you. <laughs> you're like, they update Facebook and you're like, this is dumb. It just looks different. And it didn't do anything new every yeah. time to their credit. Every time they upgrade, I'm like, this is awesome. And like something else new gets added. And like, I'm like, Oh, I wish it had this. And then like three months later it's there. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. So like, I will say like the work they've done and the amount they've updated as I've gone and they haven't jacked up prices, which may or may not happen. And honestly would be okay with it right now. Cause it's, you know, it's been so great. That aspect of it has been great, but I obviously can't speak to that about any of the other ones. Cause I haven't used those, you know, for two years straight.
0: Got it. Awesome. What's your favorite thing to do outside of work? You don't do anything outside of work. Do you?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's tough right <laughs> now. Um, you yeah. know, obviously with COVID and everything. So, um, beforehand, you know, like I, you know, I played soccer, I still love playing it. So like, I miss that right now. Cause I was playing in a men's league in Brooklyn when I was there. And you know, when COVID hit, I missed that and like I wanna do that again, but with everything I'm like just hesitant right now. So hopefully in the next couple months I'll be able to start doing that again because that's that's a lot of fun.
0: Man, when you start playing soccer in that Florida heat, you're gonna it's gonna be a whole different level.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I don't really have the time, but there's a funny story. When I was like sixteen, I played a tournament in Tampa. And after a game in a car, after I got out, both my quads and hamstrings cramped up simultaneously and I had to like hobble in a hotel. So story for another time, but yeah, it's not fun.
0: So how can our listeners get in touch with you, invest with you, send you deals, invite you to their podcast and learn more Mm -hmm. about you and your new business?
1: For Sure. So, um, definitely as of today, best way is social media, still getting a lot of things set up. So, you main ones are Instagram at Chris.Grenzig, uh, LinkedIn Chris Grenzig, but any basically almost any social media platform. If you just search Chris Grenzig, you'll find me in the process of setting up a website. So, it will be uh, jag communities.com, J A G communities.com. So, depending on when you're listening to it, it may or may not be set up. So, there'll be some way to
0: I think we're like a month out, so it should be Okay, so yeah, so
1: we'll see. Maybe it'll be done then, maybe it won't. But yeah, those, you know, definitely social media or, you know, going to that website if it's up.
0: Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. I really always enjoy our chats and uh, look forward to kind of keeping up with you on your journey.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at capital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.